What up, what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Padalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to episode 17 Building the Right Team. I'm Frank Padalano, and I'm here with Jimmy Murray to help you crush your goals in real estate. So guys, we recognize that the next podcast that we wanted to talk you guys through or the next topic we wanted to talk about was building the right team because Frank has beat this into me over the last few years and I fully believe in it as well. Real estate investing is a team sport. So that's what we're going to talk about today. In the meantime, though, what would really help us out if you guys enjoy this podcast, if you could pay for it a little bit by giving us a share on social media, on Facebook or on Instagram, or if you could share it with a friend, we'd sincerely appreciate that. There you go. There you go. So one of the things thinking about uh, a team, and I see this a lot on uh, bigger pockets, especially, is um, this concept that you need to have the right team before you start. And one of the things I will say is that you're going to have a small team to start, but eventually you're going to find, substitute, bring in other people that are a little better and a little better. So you can make almost like an all-star team. Would you agree with that, Jimmy? Yeah, so I don't think you need to have all the answers up front. I think that you need to consistently focus on working with the right folks. So I can remember in in college, um, I took this, it wasn't like an intro to business course, but it was like, a, I guess, a junior level uh, business course. And they had us read the book From Good to Great or Good to Great by Jim Collins. I'm going to be honest, I flat out hated that book. But I can't tell you how many times over the course of the last year, as my partner Chris and I and my you know day-to-day job running the property management company talk about that book. So the main theme of that book is not only bringing the right people onto the bus, but putting the right people in the right seats, right? So you get to think about it almost like as a bus route on the way to school. When you start driving that bus out of the lot in the morning, not everybody's on the bus, right? But hopefully by the time you get to school, by the time you get to that deal, or the by the time you build your portfolio to the level that you want, you're going to have all the right people on that bus in the right seats. There you go. Now, with with teams, you also have to uh, think about what your strengths are going to be as well. Uh, so, like on that big uh, post that I posted on Bigger Pockets, I talk a lot about that three stool approach, where you have to be either good with experience. You either have, a, have to have a strength with money or you need to have a lot of time. And as long as you have one of those three, you can become pretty successful in real estate. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing there, though, like kind of two thoughts that I have. One is in the beginning, you're going to be a, you're really going to be a utility player. You're going to be trying to trying to hit that stool from all fronts. Right. Whether it be time experience, you're going to be trying to gain all three at the same time. Right. So. You're that utility player trying to tackle everything. But the biggest thing is going to be your ability to self-assess. So you're going to have to have those candid conversations with yourself to really understand the things that you're good at and the things that you'd like to continue to do. I think that the inability to self-assess is going to be the downfall of a lot of investors going from good to great. Not to take the line from Jim Collins, but you know, when you, after you buy that first multifamily, sit back and self-assess. What are the things that you were good at? What are the things that you enjoyed doing? What are the things you despise doing? What don't you ever want to do again? 
if there's something that you didn't enjoy and you weren't great at it, figure out how to find another player to come and join your team to fill that gap. Someone that enjoys doing that or someone that's really good at it. And that's going to help you continue to scale your real estate business. I'm only laughing when you say sit down and self-assess. You're right. But we both know people, and we've talked about this in past podcasts, we know people that say, oh, yeah, I'm done until I, f- until I can generate more money or something else. No, you need to always be looking. Soft shell taco mild sauce, right? That's an <laughs> excuse. That's an excuse. But candidly, I'm, I have a close acquaintance. We've spent a considerable amount of time together just kind of picking each other's brains and continue to kind of build some entrepreneurial maturity. And we've discussed how he has a weekly board meeting with just himself, right? So at the beginning of the weekly board meeting, he, he looks at his goals from the prior week. Did he accomplish them? Where did he fall short? Where can he get better? And things that he knocked out of the park. But then he also assesses his one, five, and 10-year plans. Like, is what he's doing on a week-to-week basis getting him down the line to where he really wants to be and to what he really wants to achieve? And I think that weekly board meeting, I don't personally do it myself, but I think that that could be a great tool to help those investors that are in between that are, air quotes here, sitting on the sidelines because they don't have the money or they don't have that next deal yet. So to make you laugh, uh, I don't even have this. I hadn't really thought about this person as someone to be on a team. But now that you mentioned that, um, the concept of an uh, accountability partner should yeah. be like one of those top positions on that team of yours. Yeah, absolutely. I have I have a coaching client who's out in California, and he brought me in just to be an accountability partner. One, because he wants to grow a killer property management business, which I feel like I might have some good insight there. But also, having that coach to be like, hey, why didn't why didn't you win here? Or why didn't you accomplish this? Let's let's focus on this. But Having someone to kind of call you out on your shortfalls, so then you know late at night if you didn't accomplish something, you're maybe you're thinking twice and being like, "Oh, I'm gonna have that call with my coach tomorrow. I gotta get this done." And having that person to continue to push you, I think that maybe having an accountability coach slides its way up the scale to uh, on on this team list that we're gonna talk through here shortly. Absolutely. Now to go with that too, the accountability partner does not have to be an expert in real estate because I think that no. holds a lot of people back. Yeah, no, they, I don't, uh, candidly, I don't think they have to know anything about real estate. They just have to be interested in helping you, helping you get better, helping you chase the things that you want to chase. Because let's face it, like sometimes, you know, it's <laughs> right now we're sitting, you know, middle of August here and it's really easy to go out and enjoy the summer weather. But sometimes maybe you just spend a 30 minutes to an hour more inside to tackle what you need to tackle. And that's going to get you that much closer to your goals. There you go. So besides me, you mentioned accountability partner. Who would be somebody else that you'd have on a, on a team? I think up front, if the accountability partner isn't first, I think a real estate agent is number one. And honestly, based on this late stage of the real estate cycle, there are legitimately thousands of real estate agents in your local area that you could partner with. Absolutely. Now, when we talk about real estate agents, though, um, we have to make sure that you have to think about what strategy you're using with real estate. Okay, so if you are doing traditional buy and hold apartment rentals, that's going to be one type of agent. But I wouldn't want them to be negotiating for me if I was looking at uh, commercial property or industrial property. Right. So it's all going to depend on your strategy. 
So I guess one way to go out and hunt for the right real estate agent is to search your farm area. So if you're looking for multifamilies, three to four units, and you want to buy them in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, I hope you guys appreciate how I shut off my Rhode Island accent a little bit there. Um, so if you're hunting for multifamily real estate in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, go out and see who has most of the listings. They're probably going to be your go-to resource, and odds are they might have a nice pocket listing for you, something before it hits the market that you might be able to snap up as your first investment property or your next investment property. Yes, areas is definitely key. So uh, when somebody tells me that they want to, uh, especially when they want to sell a property, but even when they want to buy a property, when they ask me, who do I recommend? Uh, the first two things I ask is, well, what type of property are you looking to buy? And then what neighborhoods? Right. So for example, a certain neighborhood um, like Riverside, Rhode Island, has a completely different person I'd recommend than someone in Cranston, Rhode Island. Even though they're not too far away? and the realtors can probably cover both areas, you're absolutely right. Because each realtor, I'm going to tell you that the great realtors specialize. They're going to be able to pick targeted demographic regions or geographic regions, and they're going to be able to help you out there levels more than someone who's more of a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none or a jack-of-all-markets and a master of none. Well, I'm sure that many people that are listening to this, this podcast in their local markets, a couple of streets can probably make a big difference. So if they're oh, not an expert, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I already know that. I know that in our market it's true. And I'm going to guess that it's like that in almost every market. Yeah. One or, two, one or two streets is going to make a big difference in price, in clientele, in a lot of things. Yeah, it can certainly be dramatically different. I want to go back uh, something you talked about uh, for a second about being good and being a utility partner, eventually over time, you're going to become an expert at certain things in real estate Correct. as well. Correct. And uh, this this throws out uh, one of the other ideas I have for a perfect team member is your attorney or your lawyer. Yep. Um, you're going to laugh. You probably don't know this story, but I have a lawyer in my local market who, for one or two specific aspects of real estate, I am his go-to person that I know more about that, that specific field or type of real estate than anybody he knows and it's awesome because I, I love getting a phone call from him. it's like it's like yeah i'll give you free advice you know don't right. forget me just, next time there's a deal exactly exactly no i i understand that completely because um i have two real estate attorneys that i use pretty much exclusively um one is extremely conservative so i know if he he's closing something it's going to be tight he likes more vanilla deals but i also have another attorney who is levels more aggressive but when we're being more aggressive on a purchase or doing something sexy, like a subject to our purchasing property subject to existing financing, I know that his documents are going to be incredibly tight, right? So he's just going to make sure that we have the right documents in order to protect us. In, I'm still in a, laughing that you threw the word sexy into this podcast, but uh, hey, listen, I would say risque. <laughs> well, hey, I could I could frame it like I, I love ice cream, so I could frame it like this: like one takes care of our vanilla deals, and one takes care of our cookie dough deals, right? So. That, that's the way we spin it. Uh, so there are different types of attorneys. Uh, I know in some markets, they don't uh, have a specific type of uh, law that they might practice. In other markets, they might be specialized. So but I know – go ahead. That's a, re that's a really good point though. So <clears throat> I used to argue with my father-in-law about this where – if you are working with an attorney, make sure that you're working with a real estate attorney. You know, a, a criminal attorney should not be doing your real estate closings. So when you're reaching out, you're trying to find 
the right closing attorney to get your deals done to the right real estate attorney that you can ask for eviction advice or whatever it may be, make sure that they specialize in that area because not all closing attorneys are going to be able to give you advice on evictions and vice versa. So I was actually going to say that, that, uh, I have specific people, specific attorneys that I use for closings. I have two attorneys that I would only use for evictions. I have one attorney that was specifically used for land development. Uh, I have two attorneys I specifically use for zoning. Right. You know, right. so those are all different uh, opportunities out there that even attorneys specialize. Even if they, you can't, if they can't say they do, they still do. Yeah. Even, so even if those attorneys are allowed to practice in the other areas, they're going to value you more because they know that you're coming to them for what they're really good at. So as you're building out your team, you want to make sure that, again, you're putting the right folks in the right seats. You're not going to have a closing attorney taking care of your evictions because you're probably not going to wind up on the right side of the eviction if you're headed down that path. They usually don't want to do it either. I mean, they'll pick it up for you because you bring them enough business sometimes. I'll, but I'll, I'll tell you they will. They'll just charge you a lot more. They could do it that way too. <laughs> right? <clears throat> you'll see it. If it's something that an attorney doesn't want to do, you'll see that they will price themselves out of the business very quickly. Gee, I know general contractors like that, but that's another, <laughs> there's another yeah. team member. <laughs> yeah, so there's another team member. So um, we can talk about that. So in terms of general contractors, handyman, trash out companies, I'm going to tell you that the guys that you really want to find is, we call them the one-man bands. It's a guy in a truck, right? If you can find one guy in a truck that works his tail off and you can continue to work with him, you're going to get good pricing and you're going to get taken care of. I'm not saying that the larger companies aren't valuable. They certainly are. Um, but the one-man bands are going to be your best resource. I agree 100%. Um, when I find a great general contractor that's, like you said, a, a, a one-stop shop and uh, doesn't necessarily be specialty at, at anything, but just it's usually him and maybe one crew member that he might need once in a while, uh, I and try to use what? them as much as possible. Guess what? They love working with real estate investors because they know that we're going to come back to them a few times. And in the beginning, it may be slower. But if you say, hey, listen, this is my first one. I'm going to continue to do this. And maybe I can't feed you steady work in the beginning, but I'm going to continue to build. They are really going to value that. Now, don't BS them if that's really not your intention and you just plan on buying one multifamily. That's cool, too. But try to try to dangle the carrot a little bit if you can if you plan to continue to grow. So I'll tell you a story because I know people love stories with this. Um, I have uh, a mutual friend, I'll say, between you and I. And uh, he was one of my, like I said, main general contractors. And he decided to go to take another job for uh, a few months. And uh, so I, I actually had to move some of my business around everything else. And then uh, about three months later, he came back. He says, I quit that job. It didn't work out. I'm not a desk kind of guy. <laughs> I want right. to, uh, I want to do what I want to do. And I said, okay, I said, I'll find something. It's going to take me two months or three months to, to ramp up business enough to bring you back on, but we'll find you jobs, you know? Right. Absolutely. So Frank, I know that we get a list in front of us that we're working through. Who's your favorite team member? Oh, who's my favorite team member? Well, I guess because you're on the podcast, I'll say my property manager. <laughs> I appreciate you. You get, a little brown, you get a little brown on your nose, but I appreciate that. No, so go so, with property managers. No, I'll, I'll start so with that one first. I know that you have a lot of units, but what do you think is the right number of units before you hand it over to a property manager? Um, 
I, I will say, I'm not trying to move my way around this. The first thing is depends on how much time you're actually focusing on real estate. I so, for that. example, myself, and people have excuses too, but uh, myself, I was working Always. a full a full time job, a part time job. I had three kids at home. Um, I liked to manage about ten units myself, and everything beyond that, I passed on to property management. So I, I feel t- I feel ten to twelve is a good number for most people, but I know that it depends on how fast you want to grow. So if 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 you can, like you said about everybody has different strengths. Yep. If you don't care about that side of the business and you can find amazing scores of deals, you might not want to handle any tenants at all. So, right. and by, by the way, don't forget, we're talking about a lot of different types of real estate investing here. We're mostly focusing on rentals, but if you're a flipper, you're not going to need a property manager most of the time. Yeah. So I, to go with that, I think that 10 is typically the right threshold, but it could be anywhere from eight to 15, honestly, because it all depends on the type of property that you're buying. So if you're out there, you're buying stable turnkey assets, you may go 20 units before you need a property manager. Honestly, hey, listen, we'd love to, we'd love for you to come and work with Lion Property Management if you're local to Rhode Island or Southeastern Mass. But if you're buying turnkey stuff, you probably don't need us until you get to that point. Now, if you're buying extremely distressed assets where maybe you pick it up with some code issues or some other underlying issues, we can be a very valuable resource to you. But I, I agree, it's going to be based on pain. So if you want to feel a little bit of pain, do it early in the process or... If you have a high pain threshold, then maybe hold on and save a couple of dollars and allow it to continue to snowball your real estate growth. I like the concept of people understanding that side of the business before they pass it away to somebody else. I I actually, I totally value that statement. Um, You have to understand the day in and day out of what a property manager goes through, or you may not value your first property manager. So just just to put that out there, I mean, Jimmy's not my only property manager. I deal with three, maybe four other property managers, and they all have, uh, you know, more than one building they manage uh, for for all my assets. And just that whole concept that they all are good at something. Sometimes they all have weaknesses. Um, Always. There's there's no perfect. There's no perfect property manager either. But I think that. If you become like a professional real estate person and you've dealt with this before and you've managed yourself, it's not that you're going to be easier on them, but you have a better understanding of what they're going through instead of some people that are brand new that are screaming like, it's the fifth day of the month. Where the heck is my rent? It's like, buddy, <laughs> I'm not paying the rent for the tenants here. <laughs> I right. can send them an eviction notice. I can send them reminders. I can send them late fees, but, but it's, not, think- it's not coming out of my pocket or I your think- pocket. A valuable point that you made is that not, I would say property management, it's not like reinventing the wheel. It's going to be very similar from property manager to property manager. However, some managers are going to be better at things than others. One may have a really strong leasing department where the other one has a really strong maintenance department, or one may have a better operating platform than the other. So it's all about finding the right fit. Now, if you want a property manager that only sends emails, then you know, seek that person out. Or if you want to get on the phone with a property manager every once in a while, then seek that person out. But I think it comes down to communication as well. So that would be my other advice. When you seek out a property manager, it may not just be the day-to-day and the processes that they follow, but also how they communicate. And you want to make sure that that fits your communication style as well. 
So I, I don't want to make this podcast just about property management, but right. I, I will agree 100% with what you're saying because the only times that I've really dropped the property manager is not when they've made mistakes. It's when they can't communicate with me the way I need them to communicate with me. So if I have an emergency and you can't pick up the phone and then you send me an email that we only do email and we won't be, and we, we could schedule a phone call. That's not going to work for me. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm going to grin and bear that one. Fortunately, no, it's not that, you. It's not you. Right. No, no, no. I, I yeah. yeah, we know who it is. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, it, it's all about the right level of communication. I totally agree with that. But circling back to our list here, I think really important. So if you start out and you're starting to build your team and you got that accountability partner and you got a great realtor and you've got that lawyer that's going to get you to the closing table, very quickly you're going to need the right accountant. Hold on, hold on. Um, you're going to have to pause right there because I lost you and did not hear one thing you said after that laugh. Really? Can you hear me now? I, I can hear you perfectly now. I don't know what happened, but I don't know if you want to just chop that. And just bring in right after we just laughed about the property manager. Okay. All right. So let me restart because I'll have to re-record this. Or I'll, I'll cut it out. Um, yeah. So you're at the point now where you're you're building your team out. You've got the accountability partner. You've got a real estate agent. You've got a great attorney that gets your deals closed. The next most pivotal person on your team is going to be your accountant. That is a team member that's going to help set you up for success on an annual basis as well as down the road, making sure that your property is on the right depreciation schedules, making sure that they're accounting for revenue expenses correctly. Um, they're going to be a pivotal, pivotal component of your team. Uh, 100% agree. Uh, I'm, we're not really necessarily going in any order here, but accountants are very valuable. Um, the accountant that I use, um, the main reason why I picked him is because one of the specialties that I do in real estate that I don't always talk about, he had a background and experience in that. So I felt it was a lot easier that instead of me training someone else, that's what we do. That's what yep. I do. I think that's huge. And I, don't, I don't feel like uh, training the account. If I have to train the account, there's a problem. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think one of the other players on the team that a lot of folks start out with is a mentor. Right. So and this may go hand in hand with the accountability partner. They may be synonymous for a lot of folks. But I think getting a mentor in the beginning is critical. And it doesn't have to be a paid mentor. You may be able to go out to your local RIA and find I'm going to I may get, you know, get some backlash for this one, but find someone who's older than you that may, you know, see themselves in you and uh, kind of allow you to pick their brain and may, may be able to share some war stories or some stories that really help them get get to where they're at. But I think that finding a mentor is pivotal in the beginning. Instead of saying older, I'll say has more experience in real estate. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and the, the main thing that I have a problem with is nothing wrong with having paid mentors, but I think there's a lot of people that think they can only do real estate or become a real estate investor is with a mentor, a paid, bigger, multimillionaire mentor. And that's not true. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, in the beginning, I can remember I got on Instagram. I was trying to build my, build my street cred there and network with other real estate investors across the country. And I paid for a mentor. Um, <clears throat> and I don't, on it candidly, I don't feel like I got my money's worth. I got levels more detailed information out of local mentors that I met at my local RIA. 
Um, now, my story is probably not going to be the same for as everyone else, but I would tell you that I think that trying to find those local mentors is going to be a lot sounder of a strategy for most folks. So going with that, I know um, at our local Rio, we have at least two or three people that um, take uh, new investors out to coffee or instead of, let's put it the other way, they allow other investors to buy them coffee, which is not that expensive for the amount of free content that they are getting. Three bucks for years and years of knowledge. That's a great trade-off. Well worth it. Um, um, I mean, un- unless they're into that crazy nitro cold brew, then you're probably five or six bucks deep. But I guess just don't schedule it at Starbucks, right? <laughs> I'm only laughing because uh, on the Bigger Pockets post, I have people that say they can't find mentors, and I just start burst out laughing. And uh, then they tell me the only mentor they can find is some ten thousand dollar person. It's like no. Yeah, it's just not true. It's just not true. You got to put in more work to try and find that mentor, but they're out there. And honestly, most folks would love to help you out because real estate investing is collegial, right? Collegial in the sense of like, it's like this brotherhood. I'm not trying to ostracize women by any means, but you know, real estate investors like to talk to one another. Like when we're out that family cookout, everybody wants to talk about real estate, right? So when you find that other real estate investor, they're going to enjoy talking real estate with you. They're going to enjoy rehashing those old stories which provides you a great opportunity to learn from the work that they've put in. I like to say that investing is a team sport. Yeah. And that's exactly how we started the podcast. Like investing is absolutely a team sport. And I think that Frank and I have done a great job in our local market showing up and coming real estate investors that just trying to help out and lend a helping hand because along the way, someone may have a deal that you don't have, or someone may have the capital to get a deal closed that you don't have. And that is going to make all the difference. Half of the deals that I have done are because of partners that I've created through networking and that investing is a team sport philosophy. Absolutely. So let's, let's think of some people that they might need on their team as they're buying or before they buy. So one of the, one of the things I'm thinking about is like lenders, you know, now we, when I say lender, we're not just talking about a bank, though it could be a bank. Um, I'm talking about like a, a big mortgage broker. And when I say a mortgage broker, I'm talking about something that might be able to work with 10 different banks at once. Right. Uh, you, you, but you also might need someone who does hard money lending. Hard money lending would be, uh, well, Jimmy, you can talk. What's hard money lending? Yeah, so hard money lending is asset-based lending. Most of the time, they don't care about your credit score. They don't care about your debt to income ratio. They are looking at the asset that you are purchasing. Now, typically they're gonna want a 20 to 30% down payment and the interest rates are what most folks would consider very high. But the educated real estate investor is going to recognize that hard money lending is transitional financing. So financing that you're gonna to use to get into a distressed property quickly that should only last roughly a year. And then once you're able to stabilize that asset, get it cash flowing or get it back in turnkey condition, that's when you're either gonna list it on the market for sale or you're gonna go back to traditional paper, traditional paper in the sense of a more normal type of mortgage at a lower interest rate because now the asset is stable. So here's one of the golden nuggets for advice. Most of the time, I buy a property using hard money and then refi it with a traditional commercial lender. 
Now, when I say commercial lender, it's like a traditional lender, but they it's usually either a bigger property or I only want to hold it in my LLC. And they don't always give you the uh, as good terms, but they'll give you maybe a 20-year with a 20-year a amortization and a 10-year term. That's just one idea. Yeah, absolutely. And then the biggest thing on the commercial side, right? So when you get up um, five-plus units on a multifamily property, you get up on that commercial side of things, you want to get those banks competing, right? Yeah. So it's not about going to the first one. You want to get term sheets from a couple of different banks to make them compete. It's like that lending tree commercial. When banks compete, you win. That is the God's honest truth, right? Because at the end of the day, the banks are always going to have the money to lend, right? I agree 100%. The last commercial property that I bought, we had two banks fighting with each other, and we ended up getting better and better deals. They were they were giving up on the fees. They were giving us 30-year amortizations. They knew they were competing. And uh, one thing I will say, though, on commercial is that you don't it doesn't need to be five or higher. Uh, I've done a commercial lending on a single family. Yep. Uh, just because it was a portfolio. Uh, it was a portfolio lender, which means they keep it in their own pocket. And uh, I refuse to put, take it out of my LLC. I do not own any property in my own name. So I have to go commercial all the time now, which is fine. Right. Right. So circling back, we've talked about an accountability partner, mentors, realtors, lawyers, accountants, property man, uh, sorry, property managers, GC handyman, trash cleanout companies. I think we've pretty much run the gamut of, of team members that you should look for. And I think that these are going to be a really good foundation in terms of folks that are going to help you build out your real estate portfolio. So... I could think of a few more, but the, the only other one, especially for a newbie I'd want to mention, is the concept of inspectors. Uh, you should have someone, like a home inspector, someone, especially if you don't have a lot of experience and knowledge that goes through the property. Uh, many banks are going to require it. Absolutely. On the search for a home inspector, what my advice would be is that you find a home inspector, or at least try to network to find a home inspector that isn't a deal killer. A deal killer in the sense, you know, they're not going to share bad news with you to scare the crap out of you. They're going to educate you on what they're finding. In pretty much any property you go into, there are going to be issues. A good home inspector is going to educate you on the risks, and that's going to allow you to go back and better negotiate the deal that you want to be in. I'm only laughing over here because uh, I have multiple inspectors on my team. And if I want a deal killer inspector, I have the right guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and you can certainly find those. Or there may be home inspectors when you build a relationship with them that you can bring them in and, and they can be that deal killer or help or you can use them as negotiating leverage. But I would tell you in the beginning, having the right inspector that provides education versus scaring the crap out of you is going to make a world of difference. There you go. Uh, also, if you don't have a property manager yet, uh, some other possible uh, perfect team members you might need to start building, but you'll be able to get them from other partners would be like electrician, maybe a plumber, maybe someone to deal with pest control, those kind of people. You should have someone, even if they're not the best, you should have someone that you can call. Absolutely. Absolutely. So guys, we hope you like this podcast. Um the, the book recommendation for this podcast that we'd like to push out there is called The Wealthy Gardener by John Seforic. 
So I'm actually about halfway through this book. I've personally thoroughly enjoyed it. It brings together a lot of great books that I like, and it's honestly my new number one. I think that if you're interested in building the right mindset to continue to be a great investor and just build the right mindset to lead the life that you want, The Wealthy Gardener would be an incredible addition to your library. There you go. So we hope that you enjoyed the Cashflow Kings podcast. In between time, check us out on Instagram. We post daily content. Leave us a comment. Shoot us a DM. We're here to help you guys out. Our handle on Instagram and on Facebook is the cash flow kings cheers to your success the cash flow king program is for basic entertainment purposes only we do not give official legal tax or investment advice each person should consult their own advisors prior to making any financial decisions